Star Wars Monthly Monday number 16. No Tauntauns were harmed in the making of this episode. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. We would be honored if you would join us. Hey, we're back at Star Wars Monthly Monday number 16. What are you laughing at? <laughs> you always do the hey! You always do the hey thing. Hey-o. I'm always like, hello and welcome to Two True Freaks, blah, 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 blah. And you're always like, hey, we're back. It's us. As if everybody knows us. They do. <laughs> we're picking up new people all the time. Yeah, well, you know, they'll catch on. They'll it'll catch be on. it'll be new to them now, but then after a while they'll be like, yeah, he says hey every time. He's You're probably like, like that I'm crazy uncle I had record. that when I was a kid that just picked me up and threw me into the into the lake to, all right, he'll learn to swim or he won't. Which uncle is that? Um, oh, Joanne's uh, Claude. Claude. Yeah, that's how I learned to swim. He literally, he, he got tired of me. I was like Randy. You know, you ever see Randy get into a pool or something? He was scared to death of the water. You know, so he'd pussyfoot around, you know, uh-huh. like, you know, dip a toe in and then slowly creep out, you know, but he didn't want to get over his head and all that kind of shit. I, one day my uncle just got tired of it. I think we're at Lake Bonaparte or somewhere. And he just picked me up by the, by the ass I, of my swim shorts and just heaved my ass out into the water. And I didn't fucking know how to swim, you know? But you he was didn't like, drown. I, I, but I didn't drown, exactly. I learned to swim. I, you know, I'm sure that, you know, he'd have come... If I looked like I was in distress, he'd have probably... Well, I don't know. He was, he was a little bit weird. Yes. But uh, anyway, doesn't have a damn thing to do with Star Wars. No, nothing. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> well, I'm excited for this because this is the first of... What did we, what did we, dis- we discuss? This is going to be like three... Months, months right of empire of, of empire strikes back yeah we'll we'll do the in the next 2 months we'll do the comics mm-hmm. and then the and then the next month after that will be just the empire strikes back be a star wars yeah. monthly monday the empire strikes back and just by dumb luck happy happenstance you know it's the 30th 30th anniversary can you believe that 30 years since uh, Empire uh, came out, damn, <laughs> damn. but that's I was really there cool. Opening night, 
Yeah, me too. Me too. Don't know we we went to see this together for what was it? Was it each of our second viewings? Because I know that we went together to see this, and you had already seen it. But I think I had probably seen it. I, I'm not sure now that I think about that. I'm, I'm positive I went to the premiere of Empire, though. But I, I can just remember going yeah, you with you. Yeah, you were there. Well, I was there at the premiere, but I like you didn't go with us. But I met. Right. I But you were there. And but like, no, I'm, I'm I'm thinking of the time that we went, and you had already seen it. Maybe maybe it was a. You know, because we both saw this movie multiple times yeah. in theaters. But I remember one time you and I went, and it was me and you and my dad. And it got to the, the part where uh, it's real quiet, and it's on Dagobah, and R2 has fallen in the water. Yeah, I know. And it's real quiet, and he goes, uh, Luke goes, uh, R2? R2, where are you? And you you hollered out, he's underwater! Because you had you told me later that the prior viewing you had been to... Some little kid did that well, same no, thing. Well, da- no, da- this David Redfield had because when we went, That's when we went, we'd gone with the like you know my my parents were just as hot to see Empire as I was, so they were like opening night. They were uh, they and the Redfield family were like got together and were like they sort of sprung it on me, you know. And my sister, my sister could care less, but you know, a night out at the, at the movies, you know, at nine years old for her was a night out of the movies so you know so all of a sudden we were heading to Watertown and I'm like why are we going to Watertown my dad was like we're going to the movies and as soon as I knew heard we were going to the movies I knew it was up because uh, you know I mean I wasn't oh the Empire Strikes Back is playing you know so you know I don't think I ever went to the movies with you and your dad Am I wrong about that? No, my dad and I didn't go to... I, I, I can think... I'm trying to think of... I went to see... I saw Mr. Mom with my dad and my sister. <laughs> I saw... Which was funny because it was when my parents were getting divorced. So it was probably like... We'll go to a, well, we'll go to see Mr. Mom. Maybe that'll pertain to this or something. And... Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, but like that was with my sister. But like when I I remember my dad took me to see Stripes when that came out, and I was psyched because rated R, you know, mm-hmm. and nudity, and it was funny as hell. Bill Murray and and I remember my dad taking he had me and there were a whole bunch of a whole bunch of my friends. He's just like, come on, we'll get your friends. We're going into Watertown. And then we went to the movies, and it was like, let's pick out a movie, and we all picked out Alien. And uh, he was like, well, it's rated R. He's like, ah, what the hell? And took us all to see Alien, and it scared the hell out of everybody. (laughs) Everybody was just shitting their drawers over that one. And not, you know, a a, a few viewings of all the Star Wars movies, because... I can't really think of, you know, I mean, I've sat at home and watched videos and stuff with him a lot when we, when I was younger, oh, okay. but, but so not really out the of the movies. Okay. I always had the impression that he took you to a lot of movies. That's why all of a sudden it occurred to me that, wow, you know, I, how come we never went together? But I, I guess that must be it. But I went to the yeah. Black River drive-in with my mom and dad once and saw Annie Hall. And that was because... <laughs> God. Well, that was because, you know, they didn't get a babysitter. So I was just like in the back part of the station wagon. But I was watching the movie anyway. 
And I actually I found it quite hilarious <laughs> at such a young age. <laughs> I'm nursing a serious grudge about that movie. It could it could very well be a very good movie. I don't know. I just it is. I I've never I've never gotten over it winning over Star Wars. Oh. Words. Well, you uh, know, I never will. I it's, never will. It's not Annie Hall's fault. It's the Academy's fault for being right. biased against. And that, you know, that may change this year with Avatar. Avatar. Yeah, but see, somebody had said that. I remember somebody saying that when Lord of the Rings Return of the King won, they were like, this makes up for Star Wars. No, it doesn't. No, it is nothing's Nothing ever going to make that up, other than that. the Academy stepping forward and, and publicly <laughs> admitting it, that they fucked up. Yanking in that Star it from. Wars. Maybe we should yeah. start a letter writing campaign to Woody Allen to give the. Uh, come on, man, you got enough oh. Oscars. Give it, give it to Lucas. But then again, that. yeah, how are we going to talk people into signing a letter to give a, a, a Oscar to Lucas? Well, for Star Wars, maybe, I guess. That's the problem now is that... Everybody has such a grudge against Lucas yeah, now that... now everybody's pissed at him, so right. yeah, it might, that might not work at all. It might but, backfire uh, even. <laughs> I tell you, there's there's a lot of... Uh, I don't, what do you call it? I don't know, bile... Venom? Venom, yeah. And you know, I'm... I'm you should just let Eric, it go, Eric, man. Eric Peterson, if you're listening, man, just just tune out for like a minute. Because I know <laughs> that he's just going to fucking go nuts with me he's saying He's going to turn it up. Stuff. You know he is. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Eric. But uh, this is this is the area we, we mostly disagree about right here is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on board with, with his hate for like Dark Knight and, and some of the other things. Because I, I totally am on board with his viewpoint with most everything else. I'm a little... Less venomous about like the new Star Trek, but uh, but most everything else. But the thing that we most, you know, the the biggest divergence is he just is all hate about the prequel stuff, Clone Wars, all three films, everything. And you know, I've largely gotten over it. I'm I'm really into this, and part of what's helping me get into this is my dipping my toe into the EU stuff. And I mean, I, I'm still at that point where I, I consider myself in, in the, in the kiddie pool, you know, I, I, I really, you know, I've read a handful of the books. I've read the some ball of the pool at McDonald's or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's the baby steps of, of working my way into the EU, but I'm telling you, I'm digging it. I really am digging it. I mean, you know, there's been some clunker books. There's definitely some clunker comics. But there's more good than bad out there. And there is stuff to love. If you can just get past that initial, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. That we all, I think it's safe to say that we all felt after um, Phantom Menace. But, you know, I'm, I'm largely over it. As a matter of fact, the other day, the kids were watching um, Phantom Menace. This was a few weeks back when it was on. What was there was a marathon on right around like Christmas time, Christmas or New Year's. One of the channels had a marathon. Yeah, they always do. Seasons. Yeah, they, it's like yeah. becoming a, a tradition. And Phantom Menace was on, and my boys were watching it. And anytime my boys are watching something on TV that we have on disc, it just makes me scratch my head. 
And I'm like, boys, we have this on disc. They're like, yeah, I know, but it was on. And I was like, all right. I was like, you know, I, I found myself watching it along with him for a few minutes. And I said, I'll tell you what. I said, you know, let me help your mom finish making dinner and everything. And uh, why don't we pop the, the DVD in? Because it's been a while since I've seen this and we'll, we'll watch it together. And they got all excited. So, you know, we had dinner and then after dinner we watched it. And it had been a good long while since I'd watched it. Still my least favorite. Still have major problems with it. However, I dig that movie more the more I watch it. I really do. It's not the complete shit fest it's been made out to be. I mean, there is stuff to love about it. And that's really how I've come to feel about the entire prequel experience is that, you know, it's not what everybody makes it or you know i say everybody there's plenty of people that love it but you know the 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 major detractors i gotta admit i i think they're wrong well, i think that uh there's a lot to embrace in it here's 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 where i'll give a differing but similar opinion i think they're all right they're all completely right and and i mean i realize the weakness i mean i understand i actually enjoy hearing people tear apart the movie especially um, you know, from a pure, like, this is what's wrong with the story. This is what's wrong with the dialogue or the logic of it. Or, you know, why is this edited like this when it could have been like this or this? Or why is this even included? Because all of those are good points, you know? And I understand mm-hmm. that. And I understand it's kind of a trashy movie. But, it do, you know, you likes what you likes. And, and I like it. Right. But I can also, I can also, you know... Listen to listen to somebody who hates it tear into it, you know, all day. You know, it's and and agree with them and be listening to them going right on, man. Good point. Oh, you're right. totally right. You're totally right, right there. You know why? Why did they flood the place with a uh, big fluffy gas when they could have put in something odorless and scentless or poisoned the drink that they were drinking, for right. that matter? You know. And if the Jedi can hold their breath so good in the fog, why don't they hold their breath just for their short trip to the to Jar Jar's bubble place? You know, stuff like that. It's yeah, you know, why why couldn't they? But it it just doesn't take it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of it. And I'll watch it many times. And just as a little side note, I watched Avatar again, and you know what? I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. It might you know be one really of those. Weird? It might be one of those. It might be one of those ones where you see it at first and go, "Yeah, there's a lot of work put into this. I was really involved, but there's not much to it." And then, you know, I'm going to be very interested to see what a third viewing brings out in it because there was a lot. There was a lot more catching my interest in this that I didn't catch or you know i was paying attention to the big picture when so it's 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 interesting i liked it a lot better the second time and i was actually more engaged in it the second time than i was the first time both times in 3d go see it in 3d i know everybody that i know seems to be going well i'm not going to go see it in 3d i don't know but go see it in 3d because (laughs) <laughs> how it was made to be it was made to be seen that way 
I don't know what it is, but I, I, I seriously, I have no interest. Zero interest. Yeah, I, I don't know why. It's going to be I around see. for a while, so if you ever get a wild hair up your ass, you can go see it. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things. It's like I wouldn't have ever encourage anybody to download it. I haven't even checked out a download of it because why? I, I, you know, it's 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 a total. It's got that ride aspect to it. You know. Well, here where I live, and I, I imagine it's probably this way everywhere. I just don't know for sure. But where I live, it's more for the 3D flicks. Oh, yeah. And the regular movies are already expensive enough. And here's the part that really pisses me off. Is we had this old theater here in town. And it's a pretty shit theater. And they closed it down. And they built one of those beautiful multiplex type cinemas. Really nice cinema. But the, I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the people that built the new one were the same people that old that uh, owned the old one. But now the old one just sits there and the building's just rotting. Why the hell don't they open that and make it one of those, because you know, second run places for a I think it's going to become one of the, I think the film, I think going to see a movie on the big screen is going to be an ex- more expensive and bigger experience. A lot of movies will be in 3D, or they'll, you know, they'll, they'll make bigger screens. They'll make it a more involved, more, you know, spectacular process, or more immersive, or, or however they'll do it. But they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to do something like that because home theaters are becoming, you know, at this point in time, you know, you can get a fairly cheap projector that'll project a image the size of your wall that when the lights are off looks awesome you know and you know pop a few seats in there and you got a home you know in a nice stereo system and you got a pretty good working home theater so that's where you know where the future's going with that so they're right. gonna have to compete I mean, with that so i agree with everything you're saying but here's here's the problem is that making it more expensive even though they're throwing in more technology with the 3d process and all that making it more expensive in in my opinion is a is a horrible mistake because the 3d thing is going to wear off really quick because only the most awesome of awesome movies are really going to continue uh, to, to wow people in the 3D. You know, I, I, think, I think 3D is just going to become a matter of form. And right yeah, now but, there's I mean, people the fighting. Fall no, the prices will never in. fall. Yeah, uh, you that? know, it's like with, with CDs, the prices will go up. But that's, I'm telling you, because they have to make more money to survive. They have to... They're, they're trying to figure out ways to get more money because I'm telling right, you, theaters that comes down to the same stupid thing that the music industry did when they got all panicky. Oh, everybody's downloading everything for free. So they cranked the prices up to try to uh, firm up their, their sagging bottom line. And that doesn't make any fucking sense. If you've got people that aren't buying your product at 10 bucks, why would you charge $20 for it? It makes no sense whatsoever. And that's the thing with this, this, Maybe, more the, you know, maybe there'll be maybe there'll be a movie price and there'll be a prestige price for the stuff that's in 3D and stuff. But I have a feeling. 3D, well, that's what they're doing right 3D, now. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I and that might be the model. But I have a feeling that that 3D is going to become the movie going. It, there's somebody right now just 
dying to figure out how to do it without glasses. So one-eyed people can do it. Well, one-eyed people will never be able to do it. But so, sorry, Vargas Pike, wherever you are out there. All you cyclopses, I, yeah, I sorry, you'll never, you'll never have it until they can implant a fake eye in, into the other side of your head. What, but, I'm, um, what I'm getting at, though, is that okay? Say, say this summer we're gonna get you know Iron Man two, Hulk two, and Dirt Man two. You know. Now that shit's already expensive. At what are what are movies now? Like eight, nine bucks. Say eight bucks. Suddenly to go see more. them all. Yeah. Say well, say depending on where you live. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Say they're ten bucks for easy easy math here. Say they're yeah. ten bucks. You know, that's going to be thirty bucks to go see all three of those movies. You know, but then they all come out. They're all going to be in digital three D, right? So now the, the the ticket cost is I don't know how much more is it like five bucks more something like that. So then it's fifteen bucks. Now you're looking at forty five fucking dollars. You know, that's a lot of money. Then if you're taking other people, you know, here, here's my example. My better example is that when I took the family to see um, a Christmas Carol in three D. Oh yeah. You know, between driving to Noonan where we went to see it because that's where it was showing in digital three D. Between doing that and dinner out that night, I mean, you're talking over a hundred dollars, and that it, it comes down to a point where, okay, this is going to have to be one of those, you know, once and once in a blue moon, super rare experiences, as opposed to, you know, and I know we've said this a million times, when you and I were younger, we saw everything that was coming out, and so you're going from. I imagine a lot of people these days are, are, you know, experience movies the way I do. They really only go to the theater anymore for the blockbusters. You know, the big stuff that, oh, I've just got to see this on the hey, big screen. Hey, hey, Scott, can I editorialize for just one second? Sure, go ahead. I'd like to address all the young, single listeners to Two True Freaks right now. And I want you to back up a, a few minutes and listen to uh-huh. what Scott said again and realize... That's what happens when you get married and have kids. <laughs> it becomes more expensive. You lose that disposable income. Single like me, I can I can go to see more of those expensive. Blah. I, I'll drop I'll drop fifteen bucks a piece on all those movies. Hell yeah, because I don't have to bring bring my kids with me. <laughs> so so I'm not saying anything against you know having kids or anything, but just let that be a lesson to you youngins out there. <laughs> you want to see a lot of movies? You, you, you just live like your old Uncle Chris Honeywell. Yeah, but shit, even you must take a date to the movies once in a while or something like that. You know, once dinner in a movie type. Yeah, but once in a while, if I'm on a date, if I'm on a date, I'm happy to be spending money on a movie. You know, <laughs> I'm happy to be go, go, going on a date with a chick because there's that. Yeah, <laughs> so. You know, fine. Otherwise, I'd be doing something else that would cost money. So, but you know, a movie I'm just allows you to that... do something together in a dark room. So, yes, I'll pay money, and yes, it'll, it'll, it'll cost <laughs> me more. But once again, we're back to the disposable income. And another thing is, who does? Who's to say that I don't date liberated women who go Dutch? Oh fuck that! And shit. still give it up. So there you go. A cheap man's dream 
Dream on, Scott. Dream on. Anyway, uh, as you were saying, so kitties, listen and listen and learn. <laughs> listen and learn. Because no, I just went just to see summing, Avatar. Summing up, my point was though is that you know you might you might go from having three movies on your summer must see list, you know, to down to one or two, two or even one. Yeah, because as they charge more. Yeah, it's the same thing with comics right now. You know, they've jacked up the price. So, what are a lot yeah. of people doing? They're buying less. You know, well, and I it, think it's a just lot of the, I think a lot of the iron, like the summer blockbuster crowd, are young single people who go to see things. Come on, and they'll bring their friend. Come on, dude, we're gonna go see Iron Man. It's awesome, and they'll go see it again. And you know, so it's geared towards that. But you know, the families and stuff where they get you. Were they were they put the screws to you, or with the with the like a Christmas Carol, the family movies, and right. were they put the screws to the daters, or with the you know chick flicks and the date movies, and the light mm-hmm. comedies and stuff? Because those are the ones you're taking the family to a movie, and you take the whole fam damnly to the movie, and you look right. up there at the at the docket, and you look at what's rated G, or what's animated, or what everybody's gonna watch. And you're going to have to, if you have a whole thing full of girls and it's all some Hannah Montana movie. And if you have a mixed crowd, then you can go to see Up or, you know, you know, just a general story movie. And if, right. it, if it's boys, you could take them to just about anything but Hannah Montana. So they'll, they'll, they'll get you. They'll, they'll get you no matter what your demographic is. But... <laughs> How did we get into all this from Star Wars? I don't know. Anyway? Well, it's movies. It all it all it all ties together. It all ties no, it together. But we have Star Wars topics here in our we do topic of files. As a matter of fact, hear... oh, go ahead. I was saying, like, see that dinghy out there? Oh wait, before you before you get into that, <laughs> I'm going to make you back up now. Uh oh. You know what's really funny on on my on my notes for this episode i was going to talk briefly about something that i got in my last uh shipment order from uh, from heroes corner star wars insider magazine but you know what here's the really bizarre part do you feel like an i'm insider? not i'm not gonna talk about it this episode oh. i'm gonna talk about it next episode i thought you were now, gonna blow talking... our minds and say last episode no, I'm not, you know, <laughs> and I'm not talking next Star Wars episode. I'm talking literally next episode, Star Trek. which is Star Trek. So I'm going to talk about Star Wars magazine in a Star Trek episode. So, so stay Folks, tuned this is like that. that guy in that movie Network announcing that he's going to shoot himself the next week. It's just such <laughs> an astounding piece of revelation. So what was this about your dinghy? See that bobbin way out there in the in the distance? I don't want to see your dinghy bobbin, dude. <laughs> Sorry, I was eating a Twinkie. Hi, friends. It's me, Orca Stay Free. And this is the Orca Book Club. Okay, welcome back to Orca's Book Club. This time around, I want to talk about Star Wars Order 66 by Karen Travis. Um, I loved 
this book. I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is my favorite Star, uh, Star Wars, almost said Star Trek, Star Wars book uh, so far in my project of reading through the Star Wars novels in chronological order. I dug this one big time. It took me a little while to get into it. This is a meaty read. Um, it's just, it, there's a lot of stuff going on. Meaty the awesome, read. It was a meaty read. The really cool thing about this is that this is kind of, sort of, a series of books that she put out called Republic Commandos. And this is part of that series. But the great thing is, is that I've never read any of those books. I just jumped into this one because I liked the title. It was Order 66, so I figured, well, it must be about Order 66. And what it's really about is there is a large, and I'm talking a large, cast of characters in this book. It can be a little bit hard to keep track of everybody, but... If there's a central story as far as a, a person that is followed, it's arguably this guy, Cal Skirata, who is a Mandalorian. I don't know if you'd call him a Mandalorian warrior. He's more like a Mandalorian merc kind of guy. So he's adopted this, uh, this platoon of clone troopers. Some of them were like some of the earliest ones you know, off the cloning assembly line. And they were just going to be uh, disposed of by the Kaminoans. And this guy basically saved them and raised them like they were his own sons. A lot of this stuff must have happened in the earlier novels. But the great thing is, is that Karen Travis brings you up to speed really quickly. And you get everything you need to know about these characters in this book. So I never felt like all right, I don't know what the hell's going on. Who is this guy? Who is that guy? There, there's a little bit of that when you first dig into the book. But, you know, by the time you're you're significantly into it, you're up to speed. You know what I mean? So it, com- it comes down to a matter of, it's like, it's like picking up a comic book and by the end of it, you've got what's going on. And you might want to go back and read the other stuff that's referenced, but you're not lost. And that's that's what this was. Anyway... Um, what I really liked about this book the best, this is a super meaty, in-depth study of the Mandalorian culture. It digs very heavily into the plight of the clones, their mindset and their viewpoint, the role of the Jedi, and how the Jedi are perceived by everybody else, including the clones that serve them. That's something I've been waiting to get in the, the clone wars in the whole prequel universe is how do the clones feel about their status in this whole event? And you get that in this, you really, I mean, this book is totally from the clones perspective and what's really neat about it is that the main characters you follow through this whole thing See how the backstory that it sets up is that uh, Fen, or excuse me, not uh, Fen Shaisa, um, Django Fett brought in like friends and associates from Mandalore to help raise and train the clones on Kamino. 
So a lot of the clones on Kamino were raised in a very Mandalorian culture and with a very Mandalorian mindset. And you really get a lot of that in this book. And it's, it's very interesting. It's very fascinating the way these characters think and interact with each other and just their whole outlook on the war and everything that's going on around them. I, I mentioned Fen Shaisa by accident, but actually he's a major part of this book. And one of the things that before I knew anything about it, one of the reasons I wanted to read it is that somewhere it had been spoiled for me that Fen Shais is in it. He is in it. And he's awesome in it. There's not a whole lot of him in the book, but the role that he plays is very, very cool. And it's the book is worth it just if you're a Fen Shisa fan from the Marvel Star Wars stuff, it's worth the price of admission for this book just for his his character. But the book's got fascinating characters. Again, there's a lot of them to keep track of, but they're all really cool, really interesting, real people. And that's the biggest thing that I want to emphasize. This feels very real. You're, you're getting a whole different side of Star Wars that I just don't remember. Other than those uh, MedStar books that were about the, like, the doctors, it was kind of like a, a Star Wars mash unit. Other than those books, I don't recall a time when there's nobody recognizable in here. You know, you don't have Anakin, you don't have Obi-Wan, you don't have the other Jedi Masters. Everybody in here is somebody, at least to me, that was brand spanking new. And you're really getting the war, and especially Order 66 itself. You're seeing it from the ground. You're seeing it from in the trenches with the troops that lived it. That's what's fascinating about this book. And in very much in a way of like, you know, in the original Dawn of the Dead, there's, there's portions in that movie where because you get so involved with the characters, you almost forget the world that they're living in at times. That happens in this book. You get so sucked into the story and the characters and everything that's going on, even though it says Order 66 right there on the cover, I forgot it was coming. And when it happens in the story, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but major shit goes down. And suddenly loyalties are tested and you really start to figure out who is who, what side are they going to fall on? Are some of these guys that you really come to like and, and, and love in a certain way in this story, are they going to kill their Jedi friends, you know? Some of these clones are actually involved with Jedi. Are they going to turn on their their lovers and spouses? That sort of thing. It's really, really cool the way the whole thing turns out. And much like the Order 66 sequence in uh, Revenge of the Sith, it's sad. It's a very, very sad story. But definitely worth taking a look at. Um, I did feel that the book was a little long. That's probably my only criticism of it, other than the fact that it, it has possibly too many characters. You know, it, it is hard to keep track of everybody, especially when so many of the characters are clones to begin with, that sometimes you forget, okay, what, who was this guy again? And, oh, yeah, he was with that unit, and that's what he did, and that's his story. There was a lot of that. Um but it hooked me enough 
to not only want to read more. As a matter of fact, I am reading the next book. It's uh, they changed the name because, of course, you know, after Order sixty six, the Republic fell and the Empire rose. So the next book is actually called Imperial Commandos. The 501st. I'm in the process of reading that right now, and I'll report back on it. But so far, digging it big time. It picks up exactly where this book leaves off. But I not only want to read more, now I want to go back. I actually want to re, uh, go back and read the uh, original Republic Commando novels, and, and I hope they're half as good as this one because it was cool. So anyway, that's uh, Order 66 by Karen Travis. I freaking dug it. This has been... The Orca Book Club. Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Fail with honor rather than succeed by fraud. Huh? Huh? In a laugh-packed episode, Obi-Wan and Anakin escape from the treacherous pirates, only they're manacled to the wacky Count Dooku. And yes, Jar Jar is involved. God damn it. All right, what did you think of, uh, of this one? Here's the strange thing about this one. I dig this episode a lot. I really uh-huh. enjoyed it. But I don't know, maybe I just got sucked it right into it or something, because I literally have two notes, and that's it. So, I don't know, it makes it sound like, yeah, you know, like maybe I wasn't into it or something. I think it just kind of sucks me in. But yeah, I, I dig this one. I like it a lot. I think it's an okay one. It's not one of the, the best ones, but no. I have a few, you know, questions of, with this one. There's, mm-hmm. there's some things I really like about it, like the pirate leader, Hondo. Is a yeah. true pirate because he always seems to be pretty drunk. Not really <laughs> drunk, but just pretty drunk. He always has a cup in his hand and he's got a bit of a swagger and sunglasses on all the time. So he's I think kind the of... Hondo thing has anything to do with the old uh, Louis L'Amour Hondo, or is that it, just it a. It could be. It could be a tribute. Yeah. It is sort of a, a little Western, you know, bushwhacker type sort of thing. But here's the thing. Okay, this is the wacky story. It's almost like that movie where, um, oh, what the hell is his name? Uh, gets um, his head. He, he has Rosie Greer's head. <laughs> oh, yeah. Head. I, I, I think it might be Raymond Burr. Is it Raymond Burr? I don't know. But, he, but he, you know, it's, it's, a, it's that sort of just like the wacky you know, opposites are chained together and have to get together to escape sort of thing. And there's a lot of just sort of, hey, sarcastic interplay between Anakin and and Obi-Wan. And it's kind of funny because Anakin will talk to Dooku, but Dooku doesn't really talk to Anakin. He talks to him through Obi-Wan. Right. You know, tell your apprentice this, which pisses, because he knows it pisses off Anakin. And then Obi-Wan will ignore him, but then, like, he'll he'll phrase his question in a way to annoy... So they're all just sort of toying with each other and get kind of sarcastically, good-naturedly having a laugh about it. But goddammit, isn't Count Dooku the guy who killed all those Jedis? Right. You know, I mean, is responsible for that slaughter of Jedis 
you know, he was going to just execute, you know, the Amidala and, and two Jedis in cold blood. And uh, then yeah, they get a, get along a little bit too civilly, I think. Is that what you're, what you're getting well, at? Well, the, not just civilly. They're kind of, you know, they're kind of like, oh, you know, I hate, I, I hate you, but let's, ju-, you know, there's a bit of good natured you know, jokey. At one point, Anakin even goes, mm, impressive with something that uh, Dooku does. With just a hint right. of sarcasm. And everything ha- everything Obi-Wan does has a hint of sarcasm. And I realize, yes, they're biding their time and stuff. But there should have been a part where it switched and became deadly serious. It's just like, you know, where either Dooku or Anakin and Obi-Wan just like, you know, are all of a sudden not needing each other anymore and it's time to pay the piper, you know? Right. That would have been, that would have had a lot of impact and a lot of, uh, you know, there would have been a lot of build up as to when that would happen, but it never really happens, you know, in this. Well, at the very least, I think that there, there should have been a scene where until they realize, gee, we are all shackled together and, and, you know, if we're going to escape, we have to work together. There should have been the obligatory beat the shit out of each other in the right. cell. You know, yeah. and so, you know what I mean. And maybe, maybe that's why they didn't do it because maybe it felt like it would be too cliche or something. But cliche or not, I think that's realistic. That's probably if, if what would you happen. Yeah, woke up in a jail cell with your worst enemy, and you were chained to them. I think that the natural inclination would be to get into a fight. And beat the hell out of each other until you. Here's come a, to here's a point here's where... the, here's the big question: Is Dooku was like, ah, yes, I was trying to unchain myself from you the whole time you were passed out. Why didn't he just force choke their? Why didn't he just cave in their throats with the force power that he could bring down whole ceilings with in right. episode two? You know, why didn't he just you know instead of why didn't he just like crush their windpipes and then crush their ankles and pull the manacle, manacles off or whatever, you know? I mean, yeah. So there's the, I mean, but yeah, it's a cartoon. So it is, and as a wacky adventure with Count Dooku, it works really well. You know, right. I'm not, I, I, I'm not really bad mouthing this episode. I liked it. It just isn't one of my all time favorites just cause it has a few drawbacks to it, but it's still a fun, fast moving even with Jar Jar, Jar Jar is some sort of fucking tactical genius in this. He's, Does his voice sound funny to you in this one? It's different. It's different, definitely. I I noticed his first couple lines especially were very forced and a little deeper in tone. So maybe yeah. it was a different person doing his voice or something. But Well, in the parts where he's being sad, like after the, the senator, or is it a senator? Whatever that, I think, that yeah, or ambassador, cow or, guy is yeah. ambassador. Yeah, I think it's ambassador. After that guy dies, he delivers some some like solemn lines, and that's when his voice sounded really different to me because he wasn't being all goofy. He was just delivering a line, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's just because he wasn't doing the typical oh Misa stupid shit. You yeah, know, he was just Roger Rabbit being yeah being solemn, and he sounded really different to me. So. Yeah, and isn't isn't it weird how he just sort of like flip flops back and forth from like dumb luck, and um, actually, com- you know, he's the next in command, and he's in command of all these clone troopers, and he's actually giving them good advice. You know, he's actually commanding them. 
And so I think George is working George Lucas that is is working really hard to make know, Jar Jar re- more of a is, yeah. I'm redeem my too strong. Yeah, give him a to, reason to make, for existence. Yeah. 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 And I, I I I both applaud him and at the same time want to tell him George just you know just give it up. Give it up. Because, well the thing is he him. He was also established in his last episode that starred him as a bumbling oaf, you know. But right. he's a bumbling oaf whose oafishness usually leads to the correct outcome, you know. So right. he has a lot of dumb luck or the forces with him or whatever. But that's sort of established as to how the dynamic of Jar Jar works. And every once in a while, it's great. He's a monkey wrench to throw into the cog. And if you have a really big, serious battle in the cartoon, you can throw Jar Jar in and have him screw something up and crash up a bunch of things to sort of cut the tension for the little kids or whatever, you know? So, right. I mean, that's that's sort of his purpose, and and it, it, it works, but just sparingly, <laughs> you know? Just here and there every once in a while. So, which is how it's working out in this... In this cartoon, he's not becoming it's he's not becoming like a, a permanent sidekick, which is a smart <laughs> decision on their part. And also another thing I noticed in this is Dooku's just incompetent, but he does his Jedi mysterious act all the time. His enigmatic act, you know, the Jedi enigmatic and dark act, and he can get away with being Pretty much in co- pretty much failing at almost everything he ever <laughs> sets out to do, except for ex- escaping at the end. Right. Which he always gets away with his life, but it's the same with Grievous too. They're both just complete incompetence, which is, yeah, right, word for <laughs> word for the for a cartoon show. So yeah, See, I, th- I think they run the risk though. Of uh, if they if they do that too much, of it's going to take the edge off those characters. You know what I mean? They're they're not going to seem as as sinister or or uh, well. You know, whatever. I mean, if, I mean, he's know. not like it's he's, he's a buffoon or anything, but he just is yeah. But pretty they, they could eventually get to that point if if you know if it becomes this the thing where you know it's it's like. Uh, catch that pigeon you know if, if you know none of their, their schemes ever pan out and all they've got to do is barely escape with their lives you oh. know at the end of every appearance then after a while don't they become a cartoon character yes villain the, the, the difference between this and catch that pigeon is the writings better so they do change up right. the feel <laughs> you know like catch that pigeon had the same you know you could almost count the cells as to how they unfolded every quote unquote story you know every you know everything was really formulaic in those days and this one you could have a character story a, an adventure story a comedy story you know a flat out battle story and they can be and they and they have sort of have the freedom to tell them in different ways depending on the tone of the story so they got that work in for them cuz they've got a lot of there's a lot of characters who can't die. Have a can- There's a lot of things that just can't happen because they have to fit in with episode three. So right. you're working with all those limitations. So it's almost all just different tones that you can work with. You know what? Can you hit? A, you know a new little 
little detail on the clones uh, or you know and how they think and act or or the uh, I think the whole thing with Grievous and and Dooku becoming sort of incompetent is I think the Emperor sets them up to be incompetent to fail they're just they're boogeymen so they don't really get anything done unless he really needs them to do anything they're just there they're just there to get away with their lives and not get captured and keep keep the Jedi on their tail basically whether they know it or not uh, you know maybe Dooku might have suspected it I don't think Grievous did I wonder what the percentage is of our listeners who went, catch that pigeon. What the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> Yo, man, you don't watch Catch That Pigeon. It's the newest reality show. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they, people, all these, all these like Jersey sort of like Italian guys and women try and catch a pigeon and rape it. It's an awesome show. It's like, what, number one in the ratings. You don't watch Catch That Pigeon? It's just like this episode of Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> well, I, I only had two notes on this. One. I just had uh, a, a nitpick. At the very beginning, they wake up in a cell. And uh, I think it's Obi-Wan that says something about, you know, our, drink, our drinks were obviously drugged. I didn't think they drank they those switched, drinks. Yeah, they switched their drinks. They gave those the drinks the to the to the pirates. They did a little yeah. up in the air. It was like that. It was like that Tapper game, like the middle yeah. game in Tapper, where they would pour <laughs> the drinks and shake one up, and then crank, <laughs> Oh my god, I forgot all about that. <laughs> yeah, right. Clone Wars Tapper. Uh, I gotta find some audio for Tapper so you can dub <laughs> it in. Um, and the other one was. Now, the, I guess he's the second in command or whatever, the, the weak way that's going to betray Hondo. Uh-huh. He's got a yellow bandana with a red star right in the middle of the forehead. Uh-huh. Does he not look like he's wearing Wonder Woman's tiara? <laughs> maybe he is. Maybe he, like, maybe he had an affair with her and kept one of her tiaras. You know, she is immortal, <laughs> right? She could have been around it a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> He kept it as a memento. He was an especially dashing pirate and just caught her eye. <laughs> Wonder Woman, you're wonderful. Far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents... Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. All right, and now we come into the final segment of the show. This is Star Wars, Marvel Comics Star Wars. Now we're going to do something just slightly different this time. 
The stories that we're covering in uh, in this segment cover Star Wars issues 39 through 41. This is the beginning of the Marvel adaptation of The Empire Strikes Back. But rather than give you an issue-by-issue, page-by-page synopsis, blow-by-blow type of thing, I think what we're basically going to do is... uh, Chris and I both own the very awesome and highly recommended Marvel Special Edition number two. Now, you know what? I meant to look this up. Let me take a moment to do this right now. Because... see what number one was? Well, not so much what number one is, but I know that that, uh, Star Wars, the first Star Wars, you know, the, the New Hope... Excuse me. What eventually would become known as A New Hope also had Marvel uh, Special Edition number two on the second half of its story, and then number three was the one that. Okay, this is volume two, number two. That's what. Ah. Uh. Okay. Yeah, because Marvel Special Edition number one. Well, here's the funny thing: their numbering is weird. Because Marvel Special Edition number... There's a Marvel Special Edition number one that's actually a spectacular Spider-Man reprint where he's battling, I think it's a Sinister Six. And then Marvel Special Edition number one that features Star Wars and it's issues one through three. And Marvel Special Edition, another Star Wars one that's issues four through six. And then Marvel Special Edition number three is all six issues in one massive thing. Right. So this is actually Marvel's Special Edition Volume 2, Number 2. Awesome, awesome book. Because it's one of those giant treasury size things. So the art is massive and really blown up. I highly recommend this. I know you can get it for a song. Strangely, it just doesn't go for very much on like eBay or whatever. Because they probably printed 18 billion kazillion of them. So everybody... Got one, you know. Well, there's there's that plus the fact that you know this is one of uh, right along with the original Star Wars. This is one of the most reprinted stories. Too. Right. Another awesome way to own this one, also very highly recommended because uh, it's on. I'm pretty sure this is Baxter paper or something very like Baxter paper. So the colors. I mean, the one I'm looking at is you know, of course, it's a 30 year old book. It looks like I just bought it off the stands. I mean, it's the yeah, colors are it vibrant. Was, it's and beautiful. This is the uh, Marvel Comics Super Special Magazine number sixteen. So basically, what you've got is you've got the standard issues, you know, thirty-nine through forty-one, standard comic size. And then you've got the Marvel Comics Super Special, which is a little bit larger than that. It's a it's a magazine size. And then you've got Marvel Special uh, Edition Volume 2, Number 2, which is like the humongous fucking giant size. So <laughs> you've got your choice. You know, well, small, not to mention the extra... paperback book one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was, uh, what do they call that? Uh, Marvel Comics Illustrated something. something. I'm not I've sure got if it I around here that. somewhere. Oh, I've do you own that one? Those, yeah. Yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of those, but I don't think I ha- actually own... The one, yeah, Marvel Comics Illustrated version of dot dot dot. There was a bunch of them, and they did like uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, Star Wars. I actually have Star Wars. I have Return of the Jedi, and then I've got those ones that were they were called Star Wars, but they were reprints of like uh, 
the UK material, like right. World of Fire. I've got there a was World of those Fire, somewhere. another one that shows Han shooting Chewie in the back. On right. The <laughs> There's a bunch of them, yeah. But strangely, I don't have the one for Empire Strikes Back. I have to try to well, track that down. I just think this is the best to do for the show. You know, I actually I I, I read these on CBR, but I have the co- the floppies. But my comics are all long boxes are all piled on top of each other. But then I remembered <laughs> I had the special edition, which is great because I can just open it right up in my lap, and it's yep, it's humongous. It's even bigger than my computer screen. So, isn't it pretty? Yeah, it is. And on top of that, it's got the fantastic Al Williamson art. Yep. That's what I was just going to say. What I really like about this is I don't recall a lot of comics around this time doing such a thing. I know that that I've seen a lot of comics do this since, but this is on the the splash page. Now, I'm looking at... uh, at the moment, I'm looking at the uh, super, spe- uh, yeah, special the super edition. special number sixteen. Oh, okay. But the special edition, well, actually, they are they are pretty much exactly the same books, uh, right down to what is it after one of the chat? Yeah, after chapter two. Oh, the ad so, for yeah, the ad for Bizarre Adventures. That's actually yeah. in the super. So they are ex- exact mirrors of each other. But on the splash page to the super special and the special edition. So Stanley presents a Marvel Super Special magazine, the official comics adaption of Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. And then, exactly in the same font, in the same style as you would see the credits, like on, say, like a Star Wars poster. Right. They actually have the credits for the, for the comic done in the same style. So we've got Archie Goodwin, writer and editor, Al Williamson, and Carlos Garzon, I'm assuming his name is, Garzon. artists. And then you've got everybody else that was involved, well, like well, uh, but, Rick Veach and all these other guys. Yeah, I just want to point out, Rick Veach is one of my favorites of all time, mm-hmm. and he's a letterer on this. <laughs> and I can tell you, I can see that it's Rick Veach lettering. It's his H's. It's everything's low slung. His H's are in A's. The lines, the, the horizontal lines on stuff are always low slung. And it looks like I read a lot of Rick Vage comics, and it looks like that you know maybe maybe it's just me, but I can see it. Which is so he cool. letters his own stuff in his own books. Yeah, I'm assuming it? he probably does. Yeah, that's cool. He's a very good letterer, <laughs> so he should. So again, rather than a than synopses and a blow by blow, I'll, I'll just give you the quick and dirty that. Uh, Issue 39, which equates to chapter, you know, the, the, what's nice is that these, uh, the special edition and the uh, super special magazine break the individual issues of 39 through, um, what was it, must have been 40, 44, 44 yeah. breaks them down into six chapters. So the issues equate to chapters. So chapter one of this opens with... Uh, with Luke riding his tauntaun and seeing the meteor come down and then ends where Vader realizes that, you know, the Hoth system, that's it. And they set out for Hoth. So that's the first chapter in this chapter two starts with, uh, the rebels, you know, on alert because now they, they figure that the empire is on their way. You know, they right. figured out, you know, that that was a probe droid and all that. And that goes all the way through 
where Luke's uh, snow speeder crashes, uh, you know, after the walker shoots him down. And then chapter three picks up where Luke is scrambling in his uh, snow speeder trying to grab his grapple gun and a grenade before he gets, you know, might get squished by the, uh, by the walker. And that chapter ends with Luke on Dagobah and a mysterious elfin creature is kind of watching him from the shadow. So yeah. those it, are the three chapters that we're going to cover tonight. And, uh, boy, just gorgeous Al Williamson art. Classic. It's mm-hmm. awesome. And it's awesome to see Star Wars illustrated in that Flash Gordon style. Yes. By the guy who did was doing Flash Gordon comics and stuff. And he just renders this, this, it's really funny following the Michael Golden out, um, episode issue, you know, Mm -hmm. this one, it's just amazing, you know, not to put down Carmine Infantino, but it's just amazing. You know, all of a sudden you're going to have seven episodes, episodes, issues in a row with just, stellar above the norm comic book art and and the faces you know obviously a lot of this was drawn from stills right off the screen you know but it wasn't traced but because it's in al williamson's style but it's also got that beautiful the way he draws backgrounds and and stuff like that you know you've got that element of it that makes it flash gordony but star wars is flash gordony so it's just it, it just fits together so naturally the 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 one opening page with Luke on the Tauntaun and the word scroll in the sort of ice formation behind him you know the total you know from the planet Mongo the ice part right. of the planet Mongo formation it's I actually it's have perfect. a note on that that it, it looks like uh, let's see I gotta find my note here how did I word it. It looks like the North Pole as interpreted by Bernie Wrightson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that cross-hatching. Yep. Now, I got to I have to disagree with you just a little bit. And I think cuz I I read reread this today and I'm looking at it and I I I am digging the art. I really like it. It's definitely a step up. But it bothered me a little bit, and I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did when I was a kid. And I, I kept trying to think, why why don't I dig this as much? Why why is this not holding the same thing for me as it did when I was a kid? And I think that a, a modern phenomenon in comics that's come to really drive me a little bit nuts is intruding on this. And that is, these days, there's a lot of photo referencing going on in comics right. to where it looks like the artists to a certain degree are almost phoning it in that, that they're not giving you so much their style is their tracings or their whatever renderings of something that they just dug up on the internet somewhere or something because I am now after 30 years of watching and watching and watching this movie I am so familiar with all the the stills that were, you know, in the magazines and the trading cards and, you know, the movie itself. 
I look at this and I see so many panels in this that are right out of the movies, particularly well, yeah. the right off of the, the trading cards. And while I like that, there's just a little bit too much of it. I mean, I really well, want to see Al well, Williamson's interpretation well, of The Empire Strikes Back rather than Al Williamson drawing tops cards, you know, well, and, and putting them all together in a sequence, you know? Let me put it this way. Practically... He was probably given a bunch of pictures to work off of. Mm-hmm. The, obviously, they had a lot more to work off of than they did with Star Wars. Right. But there's some drawbacks to that, which which we'll get to, too, or some points where that fell short. But mm-hmm. um, uh, how old was Al Williamson when he was doing this? You know, he had to be pretty old when he was, you know... This is this is definitely like you know thirty years off when of his heyday. Mm. You know what I that's mean. That's a good point. So he yeah, was probably yeah, an old, he was point. probably an old guy, and and it was you know, you know they probably had a limited amount of time to do it. So he and at the time, you know maybe that it's done a lot today, but it wasn't really done a lot then, and. You know, also realize in the context of how, what a big fucking deal Empire Strikes Back was. Oh, yeah. So, there was so much anticipation of this movie. And, like, probably the team working on this comic was probably so, you know, intense on getting it right and, you know, doing that. So, there was probably a lot of, you know, there was... uh, the, the. at the time, I remember at the time when this comic came out, I found that aspect of it really cool. And it mm-hmm. still doesn't... But to to this day, I think of all three movies, I think this is the best adaptation oh, into comics yeah. of all three of them. And, uh, and uh, you know, with the, with the stuff that, that there's, a, you know, just like the other ones, there's a little bit that wasn't in the movie... There was a little bit where the artwork's off a little bit because they didn't have like Yoda, for example, is is like Ethiopian Yoda. In, in this. See, I, but strangely, I like that. I, I guess it's not that I want every character to look wonky like Yoda looks in this one, but I like it. You know, like well, it that's was his interpretation. The, yeah, yeah. Al- although I, I agree with you that that. Artistically speaking, you know, format-wise, and especially uniformity-wise, this is the best adaptation of, of the three films. I think I'll always favor the original one more. And one of the reasons, although I really, really detest the art in the very first issue, from number two on, I think it's pretty solid. But the reason I really like that is that it's not very close in a lot of respects to what you actually see when you go see the movie or, you know, went to see the movie back in the day. I kind of like that because you're getting their version of the story rather than just, you know, something that looks remarkably close to what's actually on the screen. I don't know why it is. I mean, this one here is... If you're going for faithful 
adaptation, then hell yeah, this is this is pretty much dead on to what well, was presented on the movie screen. And, and but this is something we come to a lot in this show. But remember, back in that day, no VCR. Right. There was a, there wasn't a chance in hell this thing was coming to HBO forever, to video forever, to right. to anything forever, but your movie theater. So there was more of a temptation to do more of a faithful adaptation, maybe because. You know, it, it, I think Star Wars might have been a little more impressionistic because they had to be because they didn't. They right. had a script to work off and a couple of pictures. Wh- but, which do the, you prefer? Do you prefer faithful adaptation or or what? What did you say? Impression impressionistic. That's a it, good way to put it. Yeah. Um, it depends. Like I'll, I'll tell. I'll, I'll put it this way. When I saw the adaptations of the the new movies. I was just like, eh, you know, they were fairly faithful and that, you know, the artwork was really crisp and clean or whatever, but they were just, they didn't have a lot of personality to them. This has a, this being a faithful adaptation still has the personality of Al Williamson. It's just right. a classic, it's a, cla- it's just a classic team up. It's like the traveling Wilburys, you know. Al Williamson has gotten together with Marvel and Star Wars to do Empire Strikes Back. It's a fitting, right? It's a fitting thing rather than just get Joe Artist Flavor of the Week or just Joe some guy or, you know, really. I mean, it, I would have been very interested to see what Infantino's version of Empire Strikes Back would have been. Well, it strikes me that I don't... I I suddenly realize I don't know anything about the origin story of this this adaptation, whereas I know the Star Wars story back Uh and forth. I would love to know if he was actually handpicked by George or someone at Lucasfilm the same way Chaikin and the... and uh, who was it? Roy Thomas were for... uh, Star Wars? Or Star Wars. I, I I would love to know that. Why, you know, why Williamson? I mean, what, what was he actually chosen, whoever, or was it, you know, some other series of events? Whoever whoever's idea it was, it was a great idea. I think. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I love so it, too. and it, it 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 looks great. Big. It looks great. Small. And to tell you the truth, I was just gonna sort of skim this thing because, like everybody here, we all know the story of Empire. And like I said, it's like a pictures and, and, you know, there's parts where it stops and like, oh, this, the, you know, just listen to those ice creatures howl are too. Okay. That's a sort of part of a cut sequence or storyline that, so, okay, that caught my interest, but really right off at the beginning of this, I got caught into it and start and, and read it all, you know, just read it right along. And it was interesting to see, you know, how you know, Archie Goodwin gets to put in a little, you know, a little bit of his own writing style here and there, you know, and and fill in a few blanks. And Well, you know, you mentioned the DVD extras, and a minute ago you mentioned the uh, the adaptations of the prequel movies. And I almost jumped in and said, you know, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I've never read any of them. Well, you know, the reason I haven't read any of them is that adaptations, and granted, they're few and far between these days. Movies really don't get comic book adaptations anymore. 
But the reason I stopped looking at movie adaptations, (laughs) yeah, that's what I mean. It's new movies, is because they don't do that anymore with the the quote unquote DVD extras. You know, back in the day, one of the great reasons to pick up something like this or Star Wars or even uh, Jedi when it came along or any of them, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, any of those Marvel adaptations of, of films of the day was that nine times out of ten, you got at least a few token scenes that wound up on the cutting room floor or sometimes were never even filmed. Right. And this adaptation is no exception, although I've got I've got something to point out for this one that I found absolutely hysterical when I realized it, and it, uh, I'll get to that in a moment. But uh, what else you got? Um... The, the the coloring is also a big bonus on this. I thought that was done really well. Very subdued and moody. Now, do you have the? Uh, I know you've got the large edition, the the special edition. Yes. Do you have the super special as yes, well? Yes, I do. Isn't that beautiful? Oh yeah, I mean, the it, colors my, really it, pop in that. Exactly like you said. Well, I have the super special for Empire and for uh, Jedi. And they mm-hmm. both they both look like the day I bought them. You know they they are on some sort of extra. Ble- you know this this Marvel Special Edition, the giant size one. The paper's pretty yellow on them. You know, yeah, it's comic yeah, book mine paper. is too. And I like the comic book paper. I still do. I like the way colors look on it. I like the flat, dull page. I I, I do. Mm-hmm. I like the texture of it. The newsprint, even when it gets yellow, I don't care. But it's pretty interesting to, to see, you know, if you if you really pay attention and look at these things. Before we did the show, we were talking about how you were talking about the the inside cover of the mm-hmm. the giant size one is in black and white, and, and the the, the, and the uh, inside back cover too. The other one, yeah. And uh, you but know, that's it, the splash page of the actual issue of the, of the comics, and it's colored. And, you know, what what we were thinking was probably it's just way expensive to do color on both sides of this kind of, in this, the printing process of, you know, the big cardboard cover. It was probably right. expensive enough to do a big color cardboard cover rather than do one, and it would have probably had to have been glossy on the inside or... That that the just printing comics is is such a crazy process that maybe someday we should do a show on that after some research because it seems to me like a lot especially with indie comics a lot of do or die has to do with just the printing process that you choose or the printer you have so but yeah my my super spe- all my Marvel super specials still look shiny and new even the even the the, like the Beatles one and I don't know if I still have oh you have that yeah you you have the Beatles one yeah is that the one illustrated by George Perez oh you lucky fuck I um, want that well and I keep wanting to say Walt Simonson but it's um um what's his name the the inker from Daredevil Klaus Jansen and uh but uh, here's the thing coverless (laughs) Oh, still. You know what I'm just realizing? I just uh, 
Now, again, I, I, when I read this for the show today, I read the, uh, the special edition, the, the giant size book. So I didn't even crack open issues 39 through 41. I cracked them open now, and the splash page for 39, as we said, is the um, inside front cover of both the special edition and the super special. But there are splash pages on 40 and 41 that, uh, as near as I can tell, are exclusive to these issues. I do not believe that they are reprinted in either the special edition or the super special. But I, you know, of course, I only read half the story because that's all we're covering today. So I might get to the end of this and find that there's like, you know, some bonus pinup pages. Yeah, or something six pages like of pinups at the end of it. Yep. Yeah, as is often that, the case in that yeah. time period. So this is one of the rare instances when I think it's it's well worth owning the originals and the subsequent reprints because they're all awesome in a different way. You know the the super special is uh, is awesome because of the beautiful colors and the print process that has held up for thirty years, and then the special edition is just worth it just because it's freaking huge. You know. You really get a good look at that beautiful, beautiful art. I dig it. I'm trying to think of what to recommend about the paperback size, but <laughs> well, you can Convenience. see. Yeah, I guess you can carry it in your back pocket. Uh, you know, I. <laughs> I wonder what the cover is on that because the cover on the, the it super is the same and... cover as the giant size one. It's that Again? painted. It's that painted okay. cover. Yeah. Yep. So all three of them are the same, the yeah. same cover. That's kind of boring. At least the Star Trek the motion picture one was different on the on the different editions. Although now, now that I think about it, I think it may have had the same. I need to research that and find out. I'll get back to you on that. It it may have had the same cover your, as the super special. Turns on that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, see, I don't own the uh, the super special for that, so I, it may have had the same cover as that little pocket-sized book edition. I'm not positive, but it's, I know it's different than the cover of issue one of the regular, you know, the monthly book. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Now, just talking about some of the just the different things that jumped out at me. We talked a lot about the photo referencing. And my not digging it so much after all these years. But something I really do dig in this is as much as he used photos, he also lovingly and beautifully incorporated a hell of a lot of Ralph McQuarrie's conceptual stuff. Right, right. I mean, at that picture, unfortunately, these are not, these pages are not numbered. But the picture of the guy in the tauntaun that's really, really tiny running away from the huge walker that's about to squish yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's going, you know, Imperial Walker's advancing on our position. That yeah. is Ralph McQuarrie. That sort there's of silhouette look to it, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of shot note of all of them, but uh, but another one that, that did jump out at me when Han rides his tauntaun out to look for Luke the shot of the uh, where is it yeah right here where he's actually leaving the ice cavern 
and that guy's in the little bubble turret and all that, that's out of a Ralph McQuarrie conceptual drawing for Empire. There's there's a lot of it in this as I was looking through this because not long ago Oh, okay, now uh, there's another shot here where Luke is flying by a walker and it's an upshot as if we're standing on the ground looking up at both the walker and Luke flying by. That's a Ralph McQuarrie painting. Because I was just looking at Ralph McQuarrie's stuff here not like maybe a week or so ago because uh, somebody sent me a whole bunch of Ralph McQuarrie wallpapers for my computer. And I was just going through just marveling at how beautiful that stuff is. So I, I recognized a lot more of this stuff as being you know, directly right out of uh, Ralph McQuarrie. But then he's got some beautiful stuff that's, uh, so far as I can tell, you know, completely original outlets. He's yeah, a that... master of drawing spaceships. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just beautiful, detailed. And there's one shot of, it's it's not a full page, but it's the big chunk of the middle pay, of the page of Han and the Hangar and silhouettes of, of you know, machinery and equipment and wires with mechanics hanging down from it. That's just gorgeous and so intricately detailed. Mm-hmm. And also, but, you know, very uh, photorealistically, I don't know if he copied it from frames from it, but it has that look of Star Wars mechanisms and, right. and doodads. So, and, and, you know, stuff in the foreground that's just a plain black silhouette and more detailed stuff in the background, just beautifully composed and, and lit and shaded shots, you know? The one that I really, really liked that's all original Al Williamson is the shot of the Falcon leaving the hangar and it's like it's flying at us the reader like it's going to go right over your head i love that because in the movie you know the perspective we get of the falcon leaving is nothing like that as a matter of fact it's one of the the few effect shots in empire that i never thought looked very good is when you see the little tiny falcon leaving and then lifting off into the sky i always thought that effect looked a little strange somehow but this shot here is beautiful yeah it would have looked really nice like remade that. into 3D. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, that's, you know, there, there's been not all that talk about them bringing the, the Star Wars movies back to the theaters in 3D. I would love to see somebody go back to these adaptations and put them in 3D. Yeah. I think that would be cool. I'd this, love to see uh, that. This one in particular yeah. would be really neat. Although Star Wars would be really neat, too. Mm-hmm. Jedi would be neat, too, but... We'll get into that when we get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that when we get to that. Now, here's a funny thing is... Uh, oh crap, I'll probably never find where this reference is here, but there was a... Where is it? There's a reference here somewhere to... Oh, here it is. It's in the exchange between uh, Han and Leia when he says that he's leaving and she's you know basically like, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. And... Uh, she says, Han, wait, does does Luke know? And he says, he will when he gets back. And don't give me any looks. Every day Jabba sends out more remotes, gank killers, and who knows what else. And you and I were discussing just before we started recording 
that we both chalked up this gank killer's line to, oh, that's probably just some throwaway thing that Archie Goodwin came up with. But just for shits and giggles, because I'd never, I, I didn't remember that part before I reread this today, I looked this up on Wikipedia, and wouldn't you freaking know it, man? It's like I've said before, you know, every corner of the Star Wars universe is being filled in. So even the least little reference in, like, the newspaper strip or even the most weird, out of place, you know, like that that guy that Luke ended up leaving the farm to in that Star Wars 3D special. Zog or whatever the fuck his name was. Yeah, these gank killers turn out to be... I mean, there's a whole page about these guys. And I was like, holy shit. So, yeah, it says, uh, Ganks, also known as gank killers, were a mysterious, bloodthirsty, bipedal, sentient species who mainly resided on the hut-controlled industrial moon known as Nal Shada, blah, blah, blah. And it just goes on and on about these guys. So, (laughs) these guys now have a whole deal in, in Star Wars, and they're not just this little throwaway line. And according to, to Wikipedia, and I, I trust that Wikipedia I'm, I'm hoping is much more reliable than, uh, than Wikipedia. Cross your fingers. But, yeah. Cross <laughs> your fingers. According to this, that these guys are actually first mentioned in, uh, Donald F. Glutz adaptation, novel adaptation. So that's more likely where, uh, where Goodwin got, got this from. from. But I just thought it was interesting. You know, I thought, thought it was worth pointing out. Something I didn't know. Um, but somebody else did. <laughs> yeah, somebody else did. Now, here's my... This was my big thing for this. Um, we were talking about the, the DVD extras. Is the the Wampa subplot runs through, you know, all of these first two... Is it two or th- is it all three? Yeah, it's all three. Yeah of these issues with, you know, right off the bat, right after Luke is attacked, um, a Wampa breaks in to the rebel base right at the conclusion of the scene between Han and Leia. And we see a Wampa breaking in through. Yeah. And then there's a reference in the scene where, you know, Han says, you know, we've got to go out and find Luke. You know, he's talking to major Durlin. We see a, um, a medical droid, working on one of the Tauntauns and Major Durlin says, you know, that it was attacked by something. And we get a whole bunch of these scenes that all culminate with the rebels actually having a battle with Wampus in the corridors. And they, they end up stunning them and they're locking them in this room. And then we, in chapter two, there's a scene where R2 and 3PO are actually outside the room and R2 is like the taunting them. Yeah, yeah, taunting him with his whistles and, and 3PO saying, so, you know, just listen to those ice creatures howl. And the reason I mention all this is because, for one thing, I think it's really cool. I mean, these are all scenes that um, were cut. You know, they either weren't filmed or they were filmed and then not finished and, and were cut from the film. There's all this buildup and everything. But the one scene that I was really wanting to see and really anticipating seeing is the payoff for right. all this Wampa story, which is the scene where when the Imperials invade the base, you know, they finally break through the defenses and Vader and the snowtroopers are actually in there and Han, Leia, and 3PO are only just a few steps ahead of them. There's a scene that was filmed but then was cut 
where 3PO rips the sign off the door where the Wampers are being held. So the snow troopers come strolling along. They walk in that door, and they literally get ripped to pieces by Wampas. Pissed off so Wampas. Yeah. So there's all this buildup in this in these first three issues of this Wampa subplot, and then they left that part with three PO out, and I'm like, I, it just doesn't make any. Well, it maybe, make any sense. maybe after two months they real. Maybe they cut it out after two months because they realized it wasn't in the movie by that time. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking too. Well, also I want to point out for our, uh, a buddy uh, Sean Rosado that uh, sorry, dude, there was no mention of Wampajism in the scene. In, Not a drop this. of Wampajism in the comic adaptation. Sorry, I checked. Man. I checked. I was I was deeply disappointed. <laughs> Well, you know, what's funny is, you know, there's all these additions with, with the extra stuff in there. And there's more stuff, too. There's a little kissy face, an extra kissy face incest sequence between uh, Luke and his sister. Oh, did I spoil that? Sorry about that. But... Spoiled itself. The missing scenes are worth mentioning in this, too. Most notably, it jumped right out at me when I, when I uh, got to this part of it. The scene where... Han rescues Luke and then slices his tauntaun open with Luke's lightsaber and puts Luke inside, skipped entirely. He rescues Luke. He sees that his tauntaun has expired. He drags Luke over to the tauntaun, and then he just builds the shelter. He doesn't yeah. even put put Luke in the, inside the tauntaun. Maybe he, like, shoves him up his ass or something. They wanted to leave a couple surprises for the movie, I guess. Speaking of shoving Luke up the Tauntaun's ass, yes. this is a total tangent, but did you ever play the video game Armed and Dangerous? No. It was a Lucasfilm release several years ago. And uh, if you ever get the opportunity, and I'm talking to you and our listeners, play uh-huh. that game. At least like the first half of the game, because there is a great great homage to the Empire Strikes Back in that with uh, with the Tauntaun sequence and somebody getting shoved up a creature's ass. It's absolutely hysterical, so you gotta check that yeah. out. Very, very funny. Also, the, uh, the scene where uh, Leia is standing around after Han has gone out after Luke and then Major Durlin or- orders the doors closed and-, and Chewie does that great howl and it's all sad and everything. That's all cut out. So, I mean, the, the scene is there. It's just the, the doors actually closing and, and Chewie howling. As a matter of fact, Chewie's not even in the scene in the adaptation. He's, he's cut out all together. But, yeah, the, the Wookiee howl part is missing from this. Now, did you notice that Admiral Ozzel and Captain Payette, who becomes Admiral Payette, they are switched in this. Well, I guess it was easy to get those Imperial guys. Out there. All them Imperial admirals, they're interchangeable anyway. <laughs> you know? It's just, it's funny because I, you know, I, I gave them a pass in the first scene where we see them. I thought, okay, well, they've just got the, the word bubbles in the wrong places, you know, that they've got the wrong guy talking. But Vader actually chokes to death um, Ozzel. But it's Payet in the pictures. And then later on, when Payet comes to get Vader and Vader's in his meditation chamber, it's Ozzel. And it's easy to tell him apart because Ozzel's the one, you know, he's got a mustache and Payet doesn't. And Payet's got a much more, like, gaunt face. 
And uh, also, I was just reading not long ago that this guy died. I think it was a, a year or two ago. But that guy that played uh, Ozel just died. Yeah, he was probably he also, pretty old. Yeah, probably by then. Yeah, he also played um, Adolf Hitler in The Last Crusade. And I didn't oh, know that. Oh, I could see until, that. Yeah, until he died, I never realized that. And every time I would watch The Last Crusade and see that part with Hitler, besides the fact that it's Adolf Hitler, I would see that guy and go, damn, I know that guy from somewhere. And then after he died, and it was in his bio that, you know, he was Admiral Oslo. And, oh, by the way, he was also Hitler in, in Last Crusade. And I was like, holy shit, that's who he was. And I never, never recognized, I never put the two together. I'm, I bet he went to his grave being glad that he was known as Admiral Ozzel before he was known as Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Guilt by association? Just having the words Adolf Hitler within two or three words of your name on your uh, obituary. <laughs> on, you don't want it. I love the scene of uh, of when he does come for Vader, though. And Vader's in the, ch- in the chamber because, you know, that was one of the things that kept you and I going back to the theater over and over and over to see Empire was that brief little glimpse of the back of Vader's bald, scarred head, you know? <laughs> yeah, with a few hairs sticking out of it. Yeah. And in, th- in this, all you see is a black silhouette. And I'm looking at this, and it suddenly hit me what I thought it looked the most like. Dude, is he, does that not look like a silhouette from, like, one of the apes in Planet of the Apes? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It looks like the back of Cornelius's head or something. <laughs> yeah, I thought it be. was hysterical. Could but be. But, yeah, you don't, you don't get that. He, he actually looks like he's got almost like a, like a perm type of thing. Like he could be the Beyonder or something, you know what I mean? Because it doesn't does it look like <laughs> scarred and bald? It looks like he's got like like newscaster hair. Yeah. yeah. Well, not exactly newscaster hair. It's a little. Yeah. I... <laughs> I'm thinking he's using that like uh, like that Jerry curl like Afro sheen yeah, yeah. stuff. Or that, I, yeah, they wanted to keep it mysterious. You know, <laughs> it's mysterious. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sort of, sort of like a red herring. It's sending people on in the wrong direction before they see the movie. Oh, here was another one that, <laughs> that stood out to me. There was a scene here with... Uh, it's when they were first going into battle. And it says, uh, And Wedge, last survivor along with Luke, of the Battle of the Death Star, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on and on. Now, that's not yeah, accurate well, either. a few more people was, lived yeah. on at the end of that, yeah. Including Han Solo and Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that, that one other, I think it's a Y-Wing that flies away at the end of, uh, of Star Wars. Well, speaking of Wedge, I can't remember what issue it is, but way later in the series, and I don't want to spoil ahead. We, you know, we agreed before we want to cover this, you know in order and everything, so I don't want to spoil things, but there is a story later on that, to my recollection, conflicts a little bit with something that goes on here, where uh, when Luke gets, you know, after he takes down that one walker, you know, with his grapple gun and all that, then he goes to 
where the uh, X-Wings and all the ships are, are being held, you know, the secret location, before he leaves the planet. And just like in the movie, he talks to Wedge and he wishes him good luck before he takes off. But way later in, in this series, we would see Wedge again, and there's a whole story about Wedge and Hoth and all this stuff that went on. So I think that actually... And again, my, my memories are a little bit fuzzy about that tale because, for one thing, I never liked it very much. I, I, I think it's very wonky and it doesn't hold up. But I think it contradicts all this because I think in that story, Wedge ends up somehow he, he was trapped on Tatooine for a time or some weird shit. I forget. But do you, do you know the story I'm talking about? I keep thinking you're talking about the one where someone was gets left on Hoth. Yeah, someone that's gets like abandoned on Hoth and like has to survive there for a length of time. Yeah, it, it's it's him because on the cover he's, he's he has got a beard like, and stuff. Beard. Yeah, yeah, it's him. Yeah, I didn't. I was trying to be delicate and not and not spoil it, but it's hard to talk about it and not spoil it. But yeah, that's basically it. Is that he ends up trapped, you know, left behind on Hoth, and I'm just wondering. To, how they reconcile it with this part where he's clearly right there where the friggin' ships are ready to leave. So what happened? Does he end up getting shot down or or what? I, don't, I really don't remember how that story explained how he ended Archie up Archie Goodwin was just behind. asleep during that part of the movie, that's all. <laughs> Went out to take a well piss. Gone by, by the, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who wrote that story. He may have come back and, and done that. Yeah. I'm not sure. But I don't think uh, I don't think he sticks around much after the uh, the Empire ad- adaptation is over. But I could be wrong. Um, I think that's about it for what I've got. That's on, about on it for what I got. Merch. But uh, yeah, I dug it, man. I, I you know, I, I didn't. I hope I didn't sound overly critical of uh, of Williamson at the beginning. I really do dig his art. I really like his stuff. I, I think it's a disappointment in the fact that we didn't get more pure. Al Williamson that there there really is so much of the actual film in here. That that was really all I was trying to get at. But I, I really like his stuff. And uh, I'm looking forward to the second third of this because the Dagobah sequences yeah. are almost entirely pure Al Williamson yeah. because you, I look at that stuff and I don't see much photo referencing at all. I no. mean, his Yoda is pretty... I mean, yep, he, he yep. owns his own distinct version of Yoda. It's pretty cool. So, yeah. So, wait till next month and you'll find out how Al Williamson owns Yoda. <laughs> P-W-N-S. <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. 
That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.